this is one of those evenings where we discuss the sermon. And so if we would all just agree together on how great it was, then we can move. No. Uh, I covered a lot of ground today. We talked about Mary. We talked about her uh, visit with uh, the angel Gabriel. We talked about her visit with Elizabeth, her, you can say, cousin or at least relative. Uh, and we talked about the, her interaction, you know, hearing from the shepherds. Uh, so those were the three major areas we talked about, and um, I'll put it in your ballpark. Go any, any anything strike you in all of that? There's probably different things, or any questions or comments you have. Yes, Susan. Mary's reaction when the uh, angel came to her—it was just obvious that she had been expecting something like that sometime in maybe not her lifetime but she knew about the Christ would be born to a virgin I mean that means she might have known Isaiah Susan's mentioning it just her the reaction of Mary shows you she was expecting this the Messiah maybe not in her lifetime certainly not I think the surprise to her was me? <laughs> you were in the classroom and the teacher points you and you're thinking, is he talking? <laughs> and, and, and so I think that's a surprise. But yes, that's what's um, remarkable to me about Mary. She obviously knew some script, knew the scriptures um, and, and really expected that Messiah to come. So it was, she understood what he was saying, and it was kind of an, and, and I think that's where we should all live, expecting the Messiah to return, um, maybe in our lifetime, but just that sense of a, a biblical knowledge. Where did that big biblical knowledge come from? Do you think? Uh, teaching in the home. Teaching in the home. We're not told anything about her parents. But it does seem like she was raised, I guess my assumption would be, I should say, that she was raised in a godly home that, that raised her in the scriptures. We know Jesus uh, was raised going to the synagogue every week. You know, we're told that in the scriptures, that he, as was his custom. He was there on Sabbath. He was probably raised that way. And what's remarkable, you know, we talk about Bible memory. You couldn't afford to have a Bible in your home. Maybe a portion, but a handwritten scroll on animal skins. And so um, they made a point of learning and listening. Uh, and, and so she, I think, knew, the, knew, knew so much of Scripture. It comes out. Deanna, were you going to say something? Or? No, I was just thinking back then. It was my understanding that only the boys in the family were taught. And so she knew so much scripture. Did she listen at the door, or did her father include her in the teaching, you know, in the family? But that would be unusual, I would think, that a woman would know so much scripture. I think it's questionable. I, I, think, I think I could say that it would, she would not be normally, we would not expect a young woman like her to have been taught how to read. I have to do some more thinking about that. Uh, because the Jewish people are people of the book. And so uh, she might have been taught the Hebrews to, to read. But 
man and woman were, were to, to hear the scriptures in the, in the, in the synagogue. And, and, and I'm sure you know, were talked about in the home, is my guess. They would have quoted them. Uh, the, the synagogue went through a regular schedule of reading through the Torah, you know, the book, the first five books in the synagogue. So uh, that was a way of, you know, you may not have this scripture in your home, but we're going to read it and read it. And so they would read uh, from the Pentateuch and from other the writings and the prophets. And, and, and so there was, and, and messages and teachings. So she would have heard the scripture in those contexts. And I'm gathering at home too. Maybe as the, the, the boys were being trained. I want to do some more uh, looking into how, how unlikely it would be for a woman to have been trained how to read. But certainly she would have, been, she would have heard the scriptures. There were several prophetesses. So we, we see prophetesses in the New Testament, a couple. Uh, is it Philip's daughters? Uh, we see uh, Deborah and others. Um, yeah. Wasn't this a, the, the first century Jews? I mean, they had more of an oral tradition where stories and things were passed on orally more so than written down. So it's, we kind of have a hard time understanding that because we have everything is printed or it's in electron, electrical format. And so we don't, we don't have to put our memories to use. And that's probably a detriment to us. But, you know, they, they had to memorize things. Okay, so Joe's making a very big point here is that in that culture in those times, it was very much more an oral culture. And so whether it be the telling of the, you know, the history of the nation and, and, and the stories of the nation, um, but very, yes, you would memorize these things just in the course. So it was much more natural. You would hear and memorize. So often we need to see it to memorize, but they would hear it. Um, they would, you know, sing the scriptures. And so, you know, when you put it to music, and singing the you know the psalms in particular um, would cause them to um, hear and know those scriptures. So yes, they're very a very oral um, tradition. It's very true. Nancy. Yeah. One thing I've kind of wondered about: I had to go to the temple three times a year, and you know hear about Jesus at, um, in his youth, doing that, and I've always wondered. Uh, especially with Zacharias being a priest, like would he and John not have met during their childhood growing up and uh, Mary and Elizabeth going, you know, there's there's our family, Elizabeth, that's her son John, because obviously John would have known the story of Jesus, but I've just always wondered, um, did they know each other as boys meeting in the temple? So here's the question. Did, did John and Jesus know each other? They're cousins. Um, did Mary and Elizabeth know each other? Of course, um, she would have been an older cousin. You know, look at her as like an, an aunt. But I think I, it, would very, it would not be unlikely in that they're relatives um, that, that Mary would have known uh, them, known them to be family. Um, how much they would interact again, and and again, but but Jesus was, for example, regularly we know on the Passover that was he was there. John would have been there, and so now, granted, there would have been a lot of people there, but you know the possibility of connecting, um, we can't say for sure, but it's not at all unlikely. And, and you know, you think about it, if 
maybe you go to an annual uh, conference or something, you know, whether it might be for work or it might be for Bible conference. But if you if you were one who went to this, we're going to go to this conference every every year. Well, after a while, you're looking for your friends and family, you know, that are there. And so as they're coming in three times a year, um, they would have been looking for, I think, perhaps. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. So could they have known each other? Yes. But when John is, you know, points out Jesus, I think what he's saying is he may have known him as a person, but he didn't recognize in that sense, you know, there he is, the Holy Spirit, you know, showing that's, there he is. He knew his mother's voice. That's one of the remarkable things. Remember when, and, and moved by the Holy Spirit uh, to leap with joy when Jesus comes in. And was, was Elizabeth rightly interpreting? We're told she was filled with the Holy Spirit when she spoke. So that was a prophetic utterance. In other words, a, a revelatory utterance. Yeah, how much they knew each other, I don't know. And of course, we're told um, John, you know, was out in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. how, how, I wondered, like, how, you know, maybe 15 or something, he was able to live on his own and was out there, kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. King David as a shepherd boy being able to kill lions and bears. And I, I don't know, I just always thought that somehow as boys that have kind of met uh, in Jerusalem. And, that, and that's the key. Um, they went to different synagogues because they lived in different towns, but there was only one temple. There was only one place where you could go to worship with sacrifices. Yes, yeah, so um, I mean, so much you turn on those lights over there so that people know to come in those doors. They're not coming on. They're not coming on. Oh, they say, don't turn on those lights over there. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so, so that they could interact with. Again, in a very crowded place, it might be hard, but you, you might have, especially over the years, you might have said, we're, we're all, we always meet at such and such a, a gate, at such and such a day. You know, it wouldn't be surprising at all. And again, that Mary knew who her cousin knew. Cousin, again, the word is relative. We're not sure how close, how, but she knew, she knew who Elizabeth was. She knew where they lived. She went and lived with them for three months, it looks Did like. Did she stay with them until uh, John was born? Yeah. Um, we're not told exactly. I think it might be reasonable that she was there when they were born uh, because um, that's when Elizabeth would, would most want to have her around, uh, you would think, for a little extra help. Um, so that would not be surprising. I think it's about that three months difference. So, so she would have been... You know, three months or so along when she when she got back to town. Any other? Yes. I um, find it interesting that the first word that the angel said to Mary was rejoice. Yeah. Um, what verse are you looking at? Let's see. That's twenty-eight. One twenty-eight. Before I speak emphatically, yeah, that, that word rejoice, um, some of your translations may say something different. Uh, fear not. Pardon me? Fear not. Fear not. Um, 
Yeah, it does say that eventually. Oh, you said 28. Yeah, 28. Well, the word rejoice is, um, well, let me give you some Greek insight. It means rejoice. It was the standard Greek greeting and might be considered to be equivalent to the Hebrew shalom, which is more peace. But yes, he came in and he had good news. And so he comes and the first word is rejoice. Um, greatly graced one. one. And so I think that's the key. So again, some translations full of grace, and that's really built from the Latin. Better, it says, the one who has received grace. She's not the source. But boy, has she received you know, grace. Um, which maybe speaks to us too of the, the great grace she's received also could be called a great burden. You know, to to what she's going to, to do. She's gonna she's gonna raise the Messiah. And she's gonna watch him reject it. And so rejoice. You've been given a great grace, but that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy life. And um, but she was greatly graced of God. And yes. Um, you ever so briefly referred to Isaiah 7, mm -hmm. uh, where Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign, yeah. even though asked to do so. And then uh, the Lord gives a sign anyway. And then you have the double fulfillment, both for Ahaz and, of course, ultimately in Christ. Anything that you didn't make the final cut that you were... Oh. Yeah, why didn't I just spend more time in Isaiah seven fourteen? This was my struggle. Um, there were probably close to ten sermons in the passages that we covered, so um, so I had to move along. Um, but yes, but I think that she would have known that you know because she had heard Handel's Messiah growing up, uh, and but but yes, I think that that whole virgin uh, prediction. Um, you know, they might have wrestled with how does that work and all that, but but, but it was familiar terminology. Uh, and Ahaz is it's an interesting. Um, speaking of signs, mm -hmm. John uh, Ze John's father Zechariah said, uh, "I need a sign to believe." Uh, Mary is given a sign unsolicited. Ahaz refused a sign, and and, and I think and, and even in that, it's kind of a way of. Um, showing his disrespect for the Lord, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it sound it might sound pious, but it's really oh, I don't need your sign. It's it's you know, um, it's it's re it, it shows his disdain for the prophet, and then and I think what partly what we how we understand that is uh, because of the you know the fallenness of the you know the sin in the Davidic line, you know, God can work around that, and He can He can bear a ch you know bring a child through virgin birth, you know. Glorious hope of, a, of that Messiah. How many go on a regular, fairly regular, or regular basis and see uh, Handel's Messiah or hear, listen to it during the okay, several? You know, aren't we in the season where, where we'll hear these passages and you can you can just your your foot starts tapping. You know, you can hear the music uh, of those passages. Uh, Tom was reading Isaiah nine today. I mean, you know, I could hear that ringing in the in my ears. So. Uh, 
a, a good way to celebrate and, and think about the, the season. Sure, I'm glad Tom didn't sing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> yes. I like the way Mary has a beautifully put together, concise yeah. praise. Which way are you thinking? Uh, the Magnificat. <laughs> the Magnificat. And, uh, you know, it might behoove all of us to have a nice, concise praise ready. I don't know if this was off the cuff or she'd probably been thinking about this ever since the angel uh, appeared to her so maybe she kind of put together a praise maybe beforehand I don't know so Mary and her eruption in praise this you know my soul magnifies the Lord I, I think she probably had a hard time sleeping for a while just thinking about not, you know, and I think he, we might say, wow, an angel appeared because, you know, I can't wait. I'm going to go on social media. I'm going to go on the talk show circuit and say about my, but she's thinking, the Messiah, the Messiah. And stunned that she is going to bear the Messiah. So, but you're right. She had that whole journey down to see Elizabeth and thinking through. And, and one of the things, if you would, uh, I don't have it laid out in front of me right now, but if you were to, to look at this Mary's Magnificat, her, her hymn of praise, compare it to Hannah's prayer in, in Samuel. Remember Hannah was, was asking the Lord to give a son and, and just the way she uh, sings a song of praise to the Lord. I think that's one of the passages that Mary was meditating on or to say more accurately, on which Mary was meditating. Uh, but, but in other words, I, uh, so as she was thinking about all those scriptures and, and thinking about her place in that fulfillment, it, you're right, it was in one sense spontaneous, but it was the spontaneous overflow of her meditations, I think. And, and that's, you're right, I think um, that's a great place to be where our immediate response is to think in terms of biblical perspective. And that comes from being immersed in the scripture. You know, I, I didn't even, I don't think, read the whole thing. I, I think I need to uh, read it now. Uh, Luke, starting in chapter 1, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now, if you go through there, I don't know if you would have noticed it. She's talking about the Lord. She's talking about Israel. And she uses the word me once. My soul magnifies. But in other words, she's not making about her. Uh, she says, yes, people will look at me as blessed, 
because she was given this incredible privilege. But it, but she's not thinking about, oh, how wonderful for me. She's thinking about how wonderful of the Lord. Um, yes, and how her mind must have been filled with the scriptures. I wonder what the Catholics do with uh, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She knew she needed a Savior. Uh, so she could not have been born sinless. Yes, um, that's, so that's a good question. What are the Catholic... The Catholic teaching on Mary is what's called the doctrine of immaculate conception. And that means she was born without sin. She was conceived without sin, born without sin. She was without sin. Um, and so how does she need a savior? I have to confess I haven't read the Catholic view on this verse. Uh, but this is, you know, she's again saying, I've received grace. Not I am the source of grace. I've received blessing. I don't get blessing. I need a savior. And, and that's part of, I think, what amazes her. Because she's a godly young woman. But how much in that time walking down to see Elizabeth, was she thinking about her own unworthiness? How many of a harsh word, an unkind thought, a rebellious spirit, you know, flooded her mind and thinking, God's going to use me? How can he, how can, how can I and the Holy One bear the Holy One? And see, that's where the Catholic theology comes in. And sometimes we want to help Scripture by saying, okay, how could, um, how could a sinner bring the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, into the world? And so she must have been unholy. But then her mother... Was she a sinner? You know, where do you you start? You could see though where some of that reasoning goes, where we need to be um, grounded in the scripture and, and, and take it from there. Lois came across a guy that was uh, is just a former Catholic that's aggressively going out and exposing uh, bad Catholic doctrines, and what he focused was on was all of a sudden someone went, wait a minute, if Mary never sinned, she shouldn't have died. Hmm. It wasn't until the 1500s they decided she was taken up into heaven like um, Enoch. <laughs> or Enoch, is that the right one? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. If, yes, the, <laughs> I can't remember now if she, if she is thought, did she, was she taken up without death or did she take it up and then her body was assumed into heaven? But they believe in the assumption that Mary was, her body was taken up into heaven like as Christ was. Um, and so in Roman Catholic theology, uh, Mary is called the co-redemptrix. She's called the queen of heaven, but also, and you will see crosses where uh, she's on the other side of the cross, emphasize, you know, emphasizing that uh, she had a part in redemption through her availability to carry the Messiah. So she was, so they see her as a necessary part of, of redemption. Again, Mary would uh, be most unpleased uh, to, to hear that. She would just say, I'm just a, a servant, a slave, a vessel. Unworthy, and that's the point. Grace. Other thoughts or reactions? You know, if she went to see her cousin, it would seem like she would have told her what the angel said 
that she would bear the Messiah. And, and then she would then tell John, as he was growing up, that Jesus was the Messiah. So that's a good thought. What is, you know, did, um, would they have passed along that information saying, okay, it was Jesus, uh, it was Mary's son, Jesus, um, and John would have made, perhaps known that? Maybe. Uh, I, yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, would she have? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good thought. We're not told about that information. Women talk. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go. Yes, they did. Because you know, women, they're going to share that. Yeah, and, and and that would be the most natural thing in the world, and that they would, and and she would have, you know, said it's going to be your cousin Jesus is the. When when he came, when his mother came in the room, now he is your Lord. Um, yes, and so the question then comes in: well, How do we deal with the, you know Jesus? John's response when he sees Jesus and says, "Okay, now I know that this is the one." Yeah, there's the Lamb. Well, I mean, and Elizabeth called Mary, mother of my Lord. So yeah, I, I think it's already there. She, they know. <laughs> yes, she knows that at that point. And, and John is responding to that. Now, how much he would remember from his um, before birth experience. But again, the mother likely would have taught him. Now, how long and how old they lived. And, and that's it's one of the questions with him being, you know, going out in the wilderness. Um, that's a good question. Something to think about. It, it oh. hit me how good the... Um, uh, ver uh, chapter 132 is how good a verse that is for our trinity that those that really want to uh, just say Jesus is a good teacher the angel called him son of the most high and that, yes that is very strong language he's the son of the most high um, and he is and, and David is his father so we use and that's that's where you have to you see the two natures of Christ in that one verse rather strongly laid out. He's the son of the Most High, and he is a son of David. How could he be both in that miraculous nature? Yeah, I think you see in this adoration of Mary, <laughs> it can be quite dangerous to get outside of Scripture. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got a whole new heresy there as a co-redemptrix. Yeah. What, that's, that's almost blasphemy. Maybe it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. 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 The tradition of the rabbis, it's kind of like an onion, layer after layer after layer. And it's also true of the of the, the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church, is these layers of tradition that develop over time. And then it becomes a what becomes a suggestion becomes a widely held opinion, becomes a, a dog and a dogma of the church, which is a necessary belief of the saints. And it usually that's a process of perhaps centuries before then they say, okay, that is the teaching of the church. Yeah, it's um that's the when we start going beyond the scripture, that's why we always have to ask ourselves, well, what's written? 
and and not say more than what the scripture says. Wrestle with it, reason with it, but by willing to say that's as far as we can go, or at least as far as I can go, and then someone else may have some. But testing it by the scriptures, that's and that's the problem. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church, um, in biblical Protestant Christianity, believes there's one source of truth. The scriptures. In Roman Catholicism, there's three sources of truth. Scripture, including the Apocrypha, the traditions of the church, and the teaching office or the magisterium of the church. The church alone can rightly interpret tradition and scripture. Um, and so that's how they can have doctrines like purgatory that we don't see in our Bible. Um, so that's that's the problem. You know, they have multiple sources that beyond the scriptures. And that's why the Reformation, sola scriptura, which is exactly what Mary said. <laughs> yes? I know that, you know, so many of the false religions came from Babylon, and the mother-child worship with Simi Ramos was one of the original ones, and, you know, you just see how the Catholic Church uses that satanic, um, Origins of false religions in their church doctrine. You you can see, um, you know, again, putting together directly, but you can see where in, in religions throughout the ancient world uh, there were there were all kinds of worshiping of um, queen of heaven, worshiping of female deities, and so you can see where um, that can creep into the church that's not being guarded by scripture so these you know that word that you know i mentioned in sunday school is we that's really been in my mind much the whole concept of accommodation mm -hmm. um th this goes way back that's that was arius's problem in, in in denying the deity of christ he he saw the pagans were having a real problem understanding how you know how, it, are you saying there are three gods? So as the, as the teaching of the deity of Christ was causing such a response from the pagans, he backed off and said, well, let's not teach the deity of Christ. Let's deny it. So he was accommodating doctrine to his culture. And, and, and you see later on in Alexandria, you see uh, Clement uh, and, um, and in particular Origen. Um, the pagans just... All the, the the narratives and the accounts in the Old Testament, and, and and even the miracles of Jesus, some of those things seemed just hard for the pagan mind. So they so they start allegorizing it and say, well, those things didn't really happen. Those are just uh, stories to teach us truths. You see, and so instead of saying this is what the Scripture says, we'll stand here accommodating, and and so oh, you're, you know the idea of a a motherly God. Uh, well, okay, we can slowly, you know, accommodate, and that's where we want. We are challenged with this in 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 the moral realm today. Uh, one is there is there such a thing as truth? Is there absolute truth? Uh, and is there a, a is there a an absolute definition of what what is marriage? Uh, and 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 some of those kinds of things, male and female. One, that's clear science, but that goes back to Genesis 1. When God created man, he created, mm -hmm. him. He created mankind, male 
and female. So, so that's a biblical concept. We need to be careful about, boy, the tendency is to try to somehow accommodate Christianity with the culture. And in doing so, um, really the culture is influencing us. We're not influencing the culture. And so that, I think that's how some of those things creep in. Um, how we need to be like Mary <laughs> and, and, and cling to the scriptures. Well, like you're saying, I mean, when you allow for another source to be factored in with the scriptures, I mean, that's how you can mix an error, right? I mean, mm. as long as you always going back to what the word says, well, then, yeah, you can come up with wacky ideas and you just go, well, that's not what it says, but, you know, that's when people start having authority to, you know, to come up with clever things and for it to be considered, then there we go. Yeah. So the importance, and again, that, that's where I think Mary is our model. This young woman knew, and, both, and so when the angel said those things, she was hearing it through the filter of Scripture. And I don't know if, you know, I, now here's where I might go beyond Scripture and say, maybe she did a cartwheel. <laughs> <laughs> Messiah? <laughs> In our day? Um, and, boy, and again, she must have had a hard time. What happened when she went and told her parents? Did she tell her parents? Hey, good news, Mom and Dad. I'm going to bear the Messiah. Honey, do you have a fever? Are you okay? <laughs> how, how that must have been so hard to, uh, you know, or were they godly enough and believing enough to say, thank the Lord? You know, this is, you know, again, those are the kinds of things. It'd be easy to build uh, traditions that aren't, just aren't there. But she wasn't even married yet. So it would be that stigma to overcome mm -hmm. by her family. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a terrible stigma upon her um, on the assumption that she hadn't been you know, pure to her chastity. It, it, it's just, um, yeah. It would, and, so, and she had to bear that. Uh, and, and, and those traditions continued throughout history that, uh, to impugn uh, her purity and the, the uh, parenting of, of Jesus. Yes? The movie, The Nativity, um, illustrates that well. You know, you always have to, the, the movie Na Nativity, uh, I think I mentioned to someone today, Barbara and I watch that every uh, Christmas. We like to just watch that. It's, it's, it's a movie, okay? It's a, and so as soon as you start um, you know, doing a movie or something, you're going to be adding details that aren't clearly scriptural or clearly not, you know, they're not in scripture. Uh, I love the Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille, but that's not entirely biblical, but there's a lot in there. That's exactly what the, you know, the, the, the drowning of Pharaoh's army looked like, I, I, you know. But, <laughs> but, but all that to say, uh, when I say that, uh, and, you know, how, what were Mary's parents like? Well, the, in the movie, The, the Nativity, they, they tell us. But we don't know. <laughs> you know, but, but, but just the whole rest, the, just them really wrestling Mary. Come on. You expect us to believe. And, and just the tension and, and the... I was what, thinking of the way that the um, friends and acquaintances 
looked at her as she left town. This is one of my favorite scenes. There's a, you could easily miss it. You have to watch the movie about six times or more. As Mary and Joseph, she's on the donkey and they're lead, heading in toward, heading down towards, out of Nazareth towards Bethlehem. And everybody's looking at them, you know, with these harsh eyes. Joseph turns to Mary and says, they're going to miss us. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so, you know, the Bible doesn't say he said that, but you know what I mean? You watch that and you get a feel for um, some of the tensions that, that Mary heroically uh, endured. Uh, and Joseph, we know even less about Joseph, right? Um, but again, okay, so that all gets added. There's all kinds of traditions about Joseph. We need to be guarded. Yeah, on the other hand, if, if uh, Mary came to this understanding of all the scripture through her family, you know, maybe they were you know, grounded enough that they go, hmm, maybe this is, maybe this is it. You know, and, who knows? Yeah, so, so maybe the, the parents' response was because they had grounded her so well, and because they maybe they knew her so well, mm -hmm. maybe they were looking at each other and saying, can it be? Can our little girl be the mother of Messiah? You know, so those are, but remember now, Joseph, first thing he heard about it, he starts lovingly, graciously saying, how can I quietly divorce her? I don't want her um, stoned or anything. But notice he had his doubts you know, again, it's so tempting to try and answer some of those questions that we're just not told. But that, that would be another possibility is that the parents and their love of the Lord and their trust in their daughter may have wrestled with, do we give her the benefit of the doubt? You know, we hear in Scripture that Joseph had, a, had an angel visitation. Yes. I wonder if her parents did and it's not in Scripture. I mean, no. he, that's just... Sure would have been nice if an angel told the parents. <laughs> Maybe they were there and heard the angel telling Mary. Maybe. You know, I, I was kind of thinking of how Joseph is planning to divorce Mary, and an angel comes to him at night, and you can almost imagine him saying, don't even think about it. <laughs> and so uh, he straightens him out. You know, wouldn't it be nice if he did that to the parents? But it's not. Yeah. Scripture yeah. Those are the kind of things... Uh, you know, Luke obviously asked a bunch of questions. Remember, Luke tells us from the beginning. I, I, I researched this. He talked to these people. Um, but it wouldn't, that's some of the thing that might be kind of fun in heaven uh, to, to talk to some of these people and say, so what was your reaction? And, and you know, we'll find out the facts. We do an Advent devotional from Sinclair Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And the one that we read recently, it was... You know, what we were talking about with Joseph and Joseph about about Mary, he was thinking to maybe quietly divorce her. But then he said, you know, that's kind of how we react when we hear about Jesus too. Jesus is coming. You mm. know, sometimes we're like, well, I don't know about that. Mm. You know, we kind of take a second guess, take a step back. Interesting, interesting thought that... Just as the doubts were there with the first advent, right. it, it, there's that hesitancy to believe in the, the literal second advent, and and, and put it off. Yes, and, and approach it with a skepticism. 
Good thought. Good thought. Maybe we ought to schedule the angel to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when we see. Because the angel's busy. Yeah. <laughs> when we see dialogue like this between uh, uh, Mary and Elizabeth and, and Joseph's thoughts, it, it's, it's a reminder that these are real people living in the real world. Yes. It's not some ethereal, made up stuff out there. So, so what George is saying is a good reminder as we reread these accounts, we see the things they wrestled with. They're real people in real places. Um, they are imperfect. They're sinners. And, and, and just how they have to wrestle with some of these things. Uh, is, and that's why I think there's, we see so much of this, this young lady, Mary, when those shepherds are coming in, that she just quietly ponders. And then she just, she's taking it all in and, and wrestling and thinking about all that it means. Um, yeah, and, and, and through her life. Now again, so that just re shows us the, um, the reality. These are real people. And, this, that's, and the scripture, one thing it does is it, we see its reality in the fact that it shows the real people warts and all. And and, um, and and that's that's makes them real. Uh, when we try to put ourselves in, just imagine some of these issues, like a, a Joseph or a Mary, or Mary's parents or others. Um, it's a challenge to us. Think about Elizabeth. She didn't get a visit. Yes. <laughs> she got it secondhand, and he couldn't even talk. Yes. <laughs> yes, and so there's another interesting character of Elizabeth, and and she just all of a sudden she's you know now she's with child and 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 but clearly something happened. He's been struck dumb, and he's writing all this stuff out to her. And um, yes, there's another character, but and her joy. Uh, again, she's the senior. Uh, of the two. She should have been the one getting the honor. Uh, she's had a miracle birth, but just like John, the greater glory goes to Mary's child. And so her joy, and, and maybe that's one of the lessons too to think about. To me, so much of this is the joy in what God is doing and doing in the lives of others. You know, sometimes we might be inclined to be a little jealous or um, Envious, or whatever it might be, of what God is doing in other people's lives, instead of saying, "To God be the glory." That's wonderful. Uh, glad, you know, it's exciting to see God at work. I, I think it's telling, for example, that Jesus' brothers, not one of them believed in Jesus during his earthly ministry, and they, but they knew him so well. Any other thoughts on some of these things? Well, um, let me see my little notes where I've made myself. I'm anticipating next to next to go to Joseph, and so we'll we'll talk about him next. And um, the way I'm planning it right now is Mary, Joseph, and the angels. That's kind of a fun thing to think about. How many have played an angel in a Christmas play? <laughs> No, no. Um, the shepherds, 
and the Magi. Those are some of the ones that uh, I'm looking forward to getting their kind of seeing their view, their perspectives on these this greatest one of the greatest events of history. You know, it's greater than the cross, no, but a turning point and the foundation to the cross. I think God leaves out details like what we've been talking about. I think because he wants us to focus on what he has to us, which yeah. is more important. Yeah. Yes. So yes, that's a good point. I think the Lord graciously tells us what's most important and what we where our focus needs to be. And we can, we can maybe want to speculate sometimes that we can think about those things, but we need to not let them distract us from Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I think I've told someone a story that uh, I read one time. There was this party celebrating uh, like the first birthday of a child. And it was in a very upscale um, condo in New York. And everybody was coming. You know, one of these parties and it's winter and everybody's so excited. And they're having a wonderful, a happy birthday. And finally someone looks around and says, wait a minute. Where's the baby we're celebrating? They went looking all through the apartment and finally found it suffocated under the pile of coats of all those that had laid them on the bed. And, and some say that's kind of a, an image of what Christmas can become like. We can, we might be asking a question, wait a minute, where's the baby? Where's Jesus in all of this? And so that's a good reminder to focus on what Mary, what Elizabeth and the angel are talking about, and that's Jesus. 